So you know you're about to have an incredible worship experience when like at the first note, everybody starts to stand. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm already standing. I'm ready. Praise the Lord. What an incredible, incredible song. And hey, while we're at it for just a moment, if you all have not already seen both Show Me the Father and Courageous Legacy and taking your families and your neighbors to go see it, you need to go check them out. I praise God not only for what the Kendrick brothers do, but also for the impact these different films are having just across the country and around the world. Just grateful to God for all that is happening there. Amen. Yeah, that's okay to clap. It's all right to clap. It's not for me. It's for what God's doing there. Amen. Amen. So here's a date and one that might not stand out when I first share it because it's a date that just doesn't have necessarily a holiday attached to it, but it's a very significant date in history. It's February the 21st, 2018. That is not a date that is going to be marked by a major event like a school shooting, a drop in the stock market, some major scandal of any kind that's going on. But that is a day that is going down in history because it was the day that Dr. Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. Dr. Graham was one of the most prolific leaders in Christianity over the course of the last 2,000 years. And when I say he was one of the most prolific leaders, here's what I mean by that. He's been referred to as the most influential evangelist since the Apostle Paul. He personally preached the gospel message to over 215 million people. And if you were to add in radio and television, the number exceeds a billion people, more than anybody else in history. He was a spiritual advisor to 12 U.S. presidents, starting from President Truman all the way through President Obama. He was regularly listed among the 10 most admired men in the world. He was America's pastor in an age in which many public figures often find themselves in the midst of scandal and lies and division, Dr. Graham was a guy who left a legacy of godliness and faithfulness and integrity. He died at the age of 99, and he's absolutely missed in this world. Now, what a lot of people don't recognize is exactly nine years to the day before he passed away, a lesser-known evangelist, also died. This man's name was Dr. Michael Guido. After graduating from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, he traveled the world preaching to very large crowds through the 1940s and 1950s. But all of that changed in 1957. His wife, Audrey, was in a major car accident. She was hospitalized for an extended period of time. And they found themselves in a place where they were unable to get out and to go to worship services, but they wanted gospel encouragement. They wanted gospel preaching. So they went on the radio to see if they could find some, only to realize they couldn't find anything. And they realized that other people might be in that same position, where they're not able to be in church, but they want the encouragement that would come from being in the Word. So they began to feel that God was leading them, that they needed to fill the void into get the gospel out on radio and television. And that's exactly what they began to do. In fact, you might have heard a one-minute clip either on the radio or on TV called A Seed from the Sower. Have you ever heard of those? That's Dr. Guido's ministry right there. 
So whenever they started the Guido Evangelistic Association to get the gospel out on radio, they did it at a time they had no money. And when they did it, they basically said, we're going to rely on God to fund what God is leading us into. So they took everything back to God in prayer. So when people asked Dr. Guido, how do you fund everything that's going on? His response was, everything comes from God. So we ask the Lord because he provides for all of our needs. Through written devotionals, newspaper articles, and one-minute radio and television broadcast, the gospel reached hundreds of millions of people on all seven continents through 435 radio stations, 100 television stations, and through 1,500 newspapers that were carrying his small clip that he would write out. When he died at the age of 94, he was still writing and recording three devotional pieces for every day, and he was working on three brand new projects at the age of 94, a cartoon strip for children, a crisis intervention ministry, and a Christian training center. It's the epitome of dying with your boots on. Just before he died, I had an opportunity to spend a couple of hours with Dr. Guido at his home in Metter, Georgia, and it is a time I will never forget. I have never been around someone who the presence and the radiance and the peace of God was more profound than sitting in his office listening to him. There was a twinkle that was in his eye as for hours he recounted the God, Lord's faithfulness through prayers. His, his ministry philosophy was this. Pray and let's see what God will do. Over and over, he would just keep saying the same, let's pray and we'll see what God will do. He had two prayer boards that were in his ministry office. On one of the boards, it had the phrase, I called upon the Lord, and that's where he put his prayer request. On the other board is where he put his praises, and it had the phrase, and he heard my cry. And they would take all of their prayer needs, they would write them out on a card, they would pray over it, and they would stick it on the prayer board. And then they would walk back by and they'd pray over it. And when God answered, they'd move it over to the praise board. So he shared with me that there was this one particular group of teenagers that came to his office and he was explaining his prayer boards to him. And one young guy, teenager, he looked and pulled one of the cards off and it said, we need $75,000 for a new radio tower. And he looked at Dr. Guido and he said, do you really think God's going to give you $75,000 for a radio tower? And Dr. Guido, in just a calm way, he said, no, son, I know God will give me $75,000 for a radio tower. Their conversation was interrupted with a phone call. And Dr. Guido took it, and he said, mm-hmm, yes. Would you please share that with a young man in my office? He handed the phone to the young man, and the guy said, I'm from Texas, and I don't know why, but God's burdened my heart. I'm supposed to give $75,000 for radio equipment. <laughs> he said the young man was silent for the rest of the afternoon. Here's what he just kept saying. Tell God what you need and trust him. Tell God what you need, Paul, and trust him. Your church planting in Las Vegas, tell God what you need and trust him. Now let's pause for just a moment. Dr. Graham and Dr. Guido were both evangelists. Each one reached hundreds of millions of people with radio and television into the billion mark. 
Each one ran the race well. Each one died well into their 90s. Each one was focused on getting the gospel out. But Dr. Graham reached the nations primarily through his preaching. And in hindsight, Dr. Guido reached the nations primarily through his prayers. Here's my point. You might not be able to preach like Graham, but you can learn to pray like Guido. We might not have an audience with presidents, but we have a standing opportunity to sit with the king. We're studying how it is, here's our connection, how we can take the gospel to the nations. 7.8 billion people in this world. 7.8 billion, that is a massive task. How do you fund a mission for 7.8 billion people? How do you train enough leaders for 7.8 billion people? When you hit roadblocks, what do we do? When we need God to open doors, what do we do? When we need resources provided, when we need minds enlightened, when, when we're asking that God would send laborers into his harvest, when people need wisdom to disciple others, when we need grace to love people effectively, when we need strength to run the race, what do we do? How do we approach it? Do we just muster the strength? Do we say, you do this, you do this, you do this, I'll do this? Like, how do you engage a mission for 7.8 billion people? It's only engaged through the power of God. And the power of God is tapped into through prayer. I invite you this morning, go with me in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm speaking on the subject of engage the power. Engage the power. I want you to hold your place in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to be looking there. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to be summarizing sections, but I am going to be reading particular parts as we go through. So hold your place there. We're going to have a word of prayer. And I'm asking that in a church that has focused heavily, heavily on prayer, like what Sherwood has, I'm asking that God would give us new eyes to see prayer again. One of the things that happens is when you're very familiar with a topic, we tune it out and we say, I already know that, let's go to the next thing. We can't tune out prayer. We have to go back to it again and again. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking, Lord, that you would give us new eyes to see a topic that has been so faithfully and regularly addressed in this church. But, Lord, we recognize that there's never a point in our lives that we have reached a place where we should be content with our current level of prayer. So, God, may you stir our hearts, give us new eyes to see, help us to see things this morning that are interfering with the fullness and the power of prayer being lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 describe how God developed Elijah's faith. I'm going to give you your two key truths right up front. Here's key truth number one. Bold prayer flows out of deep trust, and deep trust is developed in great need. Key truth number two. Today's trust is tomorrow's victory. Now said differently, Chapter 18, victory, we just sang about victory. Chapter 18, victory is built on chapter 17, trust. 
Now, while our focus today is on engaging the power of God through prayer, I want to approach the topic from the perspective of how does God actually develop our prayer lives? If I were to say right now, Christians need to pray, I don't think that is a newsflash to anyone. I think everybody in this room is like, yep, I agree, move on. Now, here's the next part. If I were to say, how is God right now developing depth in your prayer life? That's a different question. If you're to look in this, this section, this story, chapter 17 and 18, you find that at the end of chapter 18, Elijah prays fire from heaven. Can I tell you that's a strong prayer life? You, you don't come out the box praying fire from heaven. There's something that God is doing. There's something he's working in. There's lessons that God is teaching. My question is, can we see enough of the lessons in the text to be able to connect the dots between what God is doing in your life right now and how it is he's using that to develop a stronger prayer life? Here's your key truth again. Bold prayer flows out of deep trust, and deep trust is developed in great need. Pause. How many of you have at least one area of need in your life right now? At least one. How many of you got like a dozen, two dozen? Go ahead. And, yeah. Okay. God is using all of those pieces, if you let him, to develop a life of prayer. You know what would happen if God gave you the answer for each of those immediately? You wouldn't come back the way you need to. So what does God do? A lot of times he begins to call you onto a journey with him. There's a little bit more. He reveals a little bit more of the problem, a little bit more of the need. The answer's not immediate. And what does it do? It keeps you on a path of faithfully pursuing him in prayer. And over the course of time, God is developing your prayer life. So chapter 18, it breaks down into three sections. Here's the first of those. God sends Elijah back to King Ahab. This is found in verses 1 through 20. Now, in chapter 17 and 18, God sends Elijah to wicked King Ahab to drop off two weather reports. In chapter 17, the weather report was, you're about to enter a drought. In chapter 18, the weather report was, there's a storm coming. Now, in both of those areas, we find that he's simply supposed to go and to share a message from the Lord. So chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now that same phrase, the word of the Lord, is used in chapter 17, verse 2, 5, 8, 16, as well as 24. Here's the thought that I want to connect. All spiritual truth comes back to trusting God and trusting his word. Last week, we were focused on engaging the word, engaging the Bible, engaging the truth that comes out of the word. Now, let's get unbelievably practical at this point. You cannot trust what you do not know. You got to be in the word. That's, that's the foundational piece that we begin to work with. So God's primary way of speaking to his people is through the scripture. Your spiritual growth is directly linked to your trust in and your understanding of God's word. We need to be people of the word. Now, here's another general thought as we get into chapter 18. That is, believing God in the last chapter of your life does not exempt you from trusting God in this chapter of your life. Does that make sense? In this, we got two very nice chapter divisions, chapter 17 and chapter 18. But here's how it works out in a lot of people's lives. 
That is, you go through a season where it feels like you're fighting hell by the acre. Everywhere you turn, there's another problem. And it seems like God keeps calling you with need after need back to him in dependence. And you're having to trust him for your marriage and trust him for your finances and trust him to do what you cannot do. Trust him in areas of character. And you just keep coming back to him again and again and again. And then here's what happens. Sometimes he begins to answer and it's almost like, ah, I can breathe. There's like this feeling of, praise the Lord, I'm coming out of that season. Okay, I got a bad word, but you need the word. Here it is. Thinking the worst is behind you is generally unwise. You know what God does? He gives you a small problem to build trust before he gives you a bigger problem that builds trust. Before he gives you a bigger problem that builds trust. In other words, he knows that for us to have a trust in him that is deep, that is permanent, that is fixed, he has to keep hitting it from different angles. So a lot of times, once you come out of that bad season, guess what? There's another problem on the other side. There's this phrase, new level, new devil. Okay? And basically the idea is with every new level, there's a new set of challenges. There's a new set of problems. That's a lot of how it works in the Christian life. And to feel as though, hey, I trusted God back here, so I'm okay for a while. Don't, don't buy into that because there's another challenge coming. There's another opportunity to trust him more. So in chapter 17, Elijah has now passed the difficult message test of verse 1 the dried-up brook test of verse 2 through 7, the limited food test of verses 8 through 16, and the raising the dead boy to life of verses 17 through 24. Chapter 17, faith, here it is, prepares you for chapter 18, problems. What you just went through is preparing you for what you're going to see next week and what you're going to see next month. So Elijah was told to go back to the exact same wicked king that he had dropped off a weather report with in chapter 17. This time he was to go back to that same king after three and a half years. Same guy who's trying to kill him. Same guy who has watched his nation begin to crumble under three and a half years of drought that came out of Elijah's last request, prayer. So here, here's what's happening. God tells him, go to that same man and show yourself to him. Let's pause. If that's me, my first thought would have been, or God, or I could just text him. Because I don't know if you know, but that dude's wanting to kill me. You better have a word from God before you go see the person trying to kill you. And that's why it said he had a word from the Lord. Now, in chapter 17, God had told Elijah to go and to flee from Ahab. Chapter 18, he says, go back before him. We don't know everything God's doing behind the scenes, but here's what we can know for sure. God is building Elijah's trust. Your growth in faith and your growth in prayer are inseparably linked together. He builds both simultaneously. Your prayer life will never grow beyond your faith in God. And your faith in God will always be manifested in your prayers. So in verse number two, 
Elijah was told to show himself to Ahab. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. Verses 3 through 16, Elijah tells Obadiah, let Ahab know that I want to meet with him. And then we find that Obadiah gets the message, and here's what it says in verses 17 through 20. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? He says, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Pause. There is holy boldness when you know you have heard from God. Elijah did not take any junk from wicked King Ahab. In fact, Ahab starts by saying, you troubler of Israel. And he stops and he's like, I'm not the problem. You and your daddy are the problem. Your sin is what brought this on. And he's like, and here's what you're going to do to fix the problem. You go out, you bring this group together. And he does it. Boldness. I'm half expecting the next verse to say, and bring me a sandwich when you're done. <laughs> I mean, he's not taking anything from him. There's boldness in his approach. Okay, let's shift gears, shift gears. Proverbs 28, verse 1, the righteous are as bold as lions. Here's it serious. Could it be that the church is not experiencing the boldness we need because we've conditioned ourselves to live in a state of unrighteousness. When you know you're walking with God and you're obeying him, there's boldness. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. Here it is. It's a settled confidence that the God who called you will sustain you. There's boldness. That takes us to section number two. Elijah challenges the nation on Mount Carmel, verses 21 through 35. In verse 21, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? And the Lord, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Each new level of spiritual growth requires a willingness to trust God and to faithfully follow him. God will bring you to multiple places in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your finances, in your character, where it is a crossroads. To go further with God is going to re require a radical stop and a decision to make. Will I faithfully obey and follow God, or will I pursue something else? So Elijah draws a line in the sand. He says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? And it said, but the people did not answer him a word. They weren't sure how to respond. So what does God do? I'm going to give you a visual demonstration to help you make a decision. That's now section number three. Elijah prays fire from heaven. So Elijah sets up a proposition. He says, bring two oxen. I'm going to give the prophets of Baal first choice. 
Each of us are going to take an ox apiece. We're going to slaughter it. We're going to cut it to pieces. We're going to build an altar. We're going to put fire on this altar, but we are not to light it with fire. The God who answers by fire, that is the true God. Now, I love the fact that in verse number 24, when he says the God who answers by fire is the true God, verse 24 says, and all the people said, that is a good idea. Somebody's like, it's about to get real up in here. I mean, we're talking fire from heaven. So here's what happens. The prophets of Baal, they did their thing. They got their oxen. They cut it up. They ended up kind of getting their altar built. They put wood on top of it, and they cried out to Baal from early morning through late in the evening. And around noon, you find that Elijah begins to mock them. Again, there's a boldness that is happening here. He said, well, maybe you need to shout a little bit louder. Could be that your God is occupied. That is code for, he's using the facilities. He's in the restroom. Shout a little bit louder. Maybe he doesn't hear you, or maybe he's on a journey, or maybe he's asleep. And that's exactly what they did. They shouted louder. They cut themselves. They exhausted themselves until the evening sacrifice. Stop again, believers, right here. Christians are guilty of the same thing. We exhaust ourselves attempting to do in our strength what can only be accomplished in the power of God. So now it was Elijah's turn. He called the people to come to him. He rebuilt the altar of God. He cut the ox into pieces. He laid the wood on top of the altar. And then he dug trenches around it. He tells them to do something strange. He says, go get four buckets, fill them with water, pour it over top. Go back and do it again. Go back and do it again. Again, here it is, boldness. You don't intentionally drench what you're trying to catch on fire. He tells them, drench it all. Now, here's the beauty behind this. Some of you may know, some of you might not. But did you know that Baal was considered to be the god of rainfall. So in chapter 17, basically God showed once and for all who actually controls the rain, and it's not Baal. Now you get into chapter 18. Did you all know that Baal was also considered to be the god of lightning and thunder? So now the challenge is whoever answers by fire, that's the true god. He's dealing another death blow to Baal's reputation. Look at what it says in verses 36 through 39. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God. Let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I'll stop there. Elijah's prayer was two verses. Your prayers don't have to be long to be effective. But notice the focus. He focused on the glory of God and the hearts of people. 
when we begin to plead with God to turn our children's hearts back to him, when we plead with God, turn our leaders' hearts towards you, when we plead with God, turn our nation's heart towards you, when we come back before God and say, God, if you don't do it, we're sunk. There's a moment that you can be bold in your prayers because it's about the glory of God and about the hearts of humanity. When God chips our hearts from Lord bless me to Lord may you be glorified, get ready for the fire to fall. When you're in a place where you can honestly say, God, I got nothing here other than asking that you be made known among the nations. And whatever that takes, may that happen. We begin to see God do some incredible things. God often responds in proportion to how we seek him. Did you know that Elijah had the audacity to put his prayer life on display before a nation? When I say had the audacity to do it, if God didn't answer, he didn't live. He just showed himself to the guy trying to kill him and all the other prophets and all the other people. And he's like, whoever's God answers by fire, that's the true God. There's boldness here. Bold prayers flow out of deep trust. Deep trust is developed in great need. What are you walking through right now that God's saying, I'm building your trust at this point? What are you facing that's been months, maybe even years in the works? And you're like, God, just take it away, take it away, take it away. I need you to answer. And he just keeps saying, just follow me further. Just follow me more. Just listen to me closely. We know as believers, all he has to do is say, now. And it would be done. And because he doesn't do that, there's an opportunity for him to be further glorified in the process and for the process to develop what is best in us. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste the experience. Say, God, let me get it all right now. I don't know if you all ever noticed, but from the place that God took the children of Israel out of Egypt to where they enter into the promised land, you could walk it in about seven days. It took them 40 years. You know why? Because they would say, we're going to trust you, going to trust you, going to trust you. Nope, we're going to do something else. And he'd have to whoop them and say, take another lap. And then they'd come back like, God, we know we're going to trust you, we're going to trust you, we're going to trust you. And then all of a sudden they'd start depending on themselves. They would follow over the things. And all of a sudden, nope, take another lap. And that happens over and over again. Here's my thing. Trust him in the process the first time. Lean deeply into him all along the way and say, God, do what you need to do in me. Do what you need to do in them. Do what you need to do in this circumstance. Might I trust you the way that you desire. Elijah needed God to answer. God did. Verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They did not say, Elijah is awesome. Elijah's the goat. Elijah's got the best prayer life of anybody I've ever seen. Their response was, 
The Lord, he is God. Answered prayer is not about highlighting us. It's about glorifying him. His answers display his glory. His answers remove every false notion and every distracting idea so that people can clearly see he alone is God. Verse 40. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook uh, Kishon and slew them there. You might think, man, that's harsh. But listen, these false prophets had misled God's people. They had encouraged sin. And they had robbed God of proper worship and glory for long enough. Elijah finished it there. Verse 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. And God brought the rain. Oh, here's a great statement. The purging of sin makes room for the blessings of God. The purging of sin. When God's people walk in repentance, when God's people are unwilling to allow unrighteousness in their heart and unrighteousness in their lives. When, when we begin to pursue holiness and say, God, take away that and just give me you. Just give me you. Get ready for God's blessings. Elijah's prayers altered weather patterns, raised the dead, and called a dead boy back to life. Called fire from heaven. Daniel's prayers closed the mouths of lions. The prayers of the church in Acts were those that brought an earthquake and released Paul and Silas from prison. Jesus' prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane changed the course of the world. There is power that comes through prayer. Here's my question as we close. Are you engaging the power of God in prayer? What impossible set of circumstances has God positioned directly in front of you that unless he answers, you have no opportunity to budge? Are you content with your current level of prayer right now? Or is there a hunger and a desire inside? Oh, God, help me to know you more. Help me to see more of you. God, may it be less of me and more of you. Are you at a crossroads where God is just simply whispering into your heart, tell me and trust me with it? Just tell me what you need. And trust me with it. God's answers might not come in the timing we want, in the way we want, or packaged in a way that we thought it was going to happen. But God answers prayer. Key truth number one again bold prayer flows out of deep trust, deep trust is developed in great need. You're not in those circumstances. By accident. Don't waste them. Key truth number two. Today's trust is tomorrow's victory. The lessons that God is teaching you today are lessons that he is going to be building on next week, next month, next year. Tell God what you need and trust him. God often responds in proportion to how we seek him. At the end of Dr. Billy Graham's life, in an interview, he was asked, is there anything that you would do differently 
in your ministry if you had to go back and do it all over? And his immediate response was, I would preach less and pray more. Preach less and pray more. When I read that quote, my thought was, if I had an opportunity to see hundreds of millions of people come to faith in Christ, I would have probably said, nope, wouldn't change a thing. But somewhere along the way, Dr. Graham was saying, this is great, but God could have done more had I just prayed more. What set of circumstances are you facing right now? How is God positioning you so that you can't escape dependence upon him? If we are to collectively and effectively make Christ known among the nations, we have no other choice but to engage the power of God. And that happens in prayer. How is God prompting you to pray? I ask if you would, just bow your heads for just a moment. As the band comes this way and as our pastors take their place at the end of each of the aisles, I want to walk you through a couple of different questions. These are questions for you to engage in dialogue between you and God. My first question is, has the freshness of your prayer life begun to wane? Do you feel like there was a time that your prayer life was stronger than what it is right now? If so, how often are you bringing that need back before God? A lot of times we'll quickly say, if I just had more time, I'd pray more. I, I want to be very open and transparent with you right now. Very open. For years, for years, for years, as I sit alone with God in prayer, here's the thing that keeps coming back to me. Stop your busyness and sit with me more. And I can't tell you how many times I'll say, when this week is over, I'll have more time. When, when this season, when this project, when this piece is done, then I'll have the time to focus more on prayer. And here's what I can tell you. For years, I keep lying to myself and in many ways lying to him in the process by saying it'll change in time. It doesn't. There has to be a moment in which you say, it doesn't matter what else is coming, I'm going to walk in obedience with him right now because this is what I need to face the challenge that I'm going to see down the road. How many of you are just like me? How many of you, as you're sitting alone with God in prayer, does he keep saying, just stop and spend more time with me? And you keep saying, next week, next month, after this is done. For some of you, God might be bringing up areas of sin in your life. And that sin is robbing you of deep intimacy with God. And that sin is interfering with prayer. In fact, there, there's no boldness like lions because you know that What's only between you and God, there is a sin that has been hidden from other sites. And you can come in on church, and you can look respectable, and nobody but you and God knows what's going on in your mind. All I could say is, don't let today pass on that. Confess it before God. Repent of it before God. And ask that God brings restored healing in your hearts. 
that he removes obstacles in prayer. I don't know where you might be. Some people might be in here right now and you're like, I've heard you share the gospel. I've heard about what Jesus has done, but I keep saying no. Let today be the day you say yes. I don't know where you might be. I'm just asking that we turn this invitation into a moment that we do business with God. And you might feel the need to stay right where you're at and pray there. You might feel the need to come forward and pray at the altar. You might feel the need to take one of these pastors by the hand and just say, would you pray for me? Whatever that might be, I'm going to ask that you respond as God prompts you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, unless you move, God, we got nothing. We, we, we sing, we preach, we gather, but apart from your spirit moving in and through us, then Lord, the true blessings that can come from your hands we're going to miss. God, may you have us so that we're serious about our walk with you, serious about engaging you in prayer. And God, I'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, we're going to sing. And you respond as God is prompting you.